Good morning. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, you are the God of creation, the God of salvation, and the God of situation. No matter how bleak the situation might be, we know that if we earnestly trust you, that you will call good into being. We ask that you open our eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to receive your wisdom from the scriptures. Teach us, O Lord, to lead lives that are pleasing to you. And all God's people said, Our scripture today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28, found on page 1257 in your pew Bible. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28, page 1257 in the pew Bible. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, Pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you, Russell. Several weeks ago, uh, I received a little uh, beep from this app on my phone. It's called Abide. And it gives us little notices. Abide is the name of the app. If you have a smartphone, Abide, A-B-I-D-E, is a really neat application. It's free. And it'll give you like a daily scripture. And so uh, on that, in this midst of a stressful week, uh, my scripture for the day was First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, uh, part of the scripture that Russell just read. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Now, as I read those verses in the midst of a stressful week, I wanted to rejoice. I wanted to give thanks always. But the fact is, I didn't feel that I could. I wondered, how is it possible to give thanks always in the midst of great stress? And as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we saw that he experienced great stress, more stress than I've ever experienced. And yet he has the boldness to write, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. How are we to give thanks in the midst of stressful circumstances? When work is overwhelming, when our relationships feel strained, when finances seem uncertain, how are we supposed to rejoice always and give thanks in those circumstances? As I thought about that, I I looked again at the text, and specifically I looked at verse 17, where I believe the answer is found, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. If we want to be able to rejoice always, if we want to be able to give thanks in all circumstances, we have to pray without ceasing. But how do we do that exactly? How do we pray without ceasing? I mean, if I spent all my time praying, would I ever get anything done? How are we to pray without ceasing exactly? Well, as we continue our journey through the story, the grand narrative of the Bible, we look and we encounter one of the most important prophets in all of the Bible, Samuel. Samuel was uh, the first prophet to anoint the first kings of Israel. Samuel was the spokesperson for God at his time. And as we look at the call of Samuel, we'll see that Samuel prays a simple five-word prayer that helped begin and initiate a continual dialogue that Samuel had throughout his life with God. If we want to see what it means to pray without ceasing, if we want to learn how we might be able to do that as Samuel did and as the Apostle Paul did, then I would encourage you to look at 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It may be found on page 290 of your pew Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 3, where we might hear this simple prayer that helps us begin a dialogue with God today. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you inspired people to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Samuel that we can read and we can learn from. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might speak to our hearts, that we might be open to what you have to say, that we might hear what it is you want us to hear. I pray, O Lord, also that you might guide us, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, listen to the word of the Lord. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been talking a lot this morning, so I'm getting a little dry. (laughs) And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That's a pretty depressing verse, right? The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Why wasn't the word of the Lord more frequent? Why was it that the word of the Lord was rare? What was going on at that time in Israel's history? Well, we're in a period right after the judges before the first kings of Israel are going to be anointed. And and Eli is the chief priest. He's the key leader for the people of God as a religious leader at that time. And and he had two sons. And and his two sons were Hophni and Phinehas. And Hophni and Phinehas were not good sons. They were not good priests. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Worthless. God describes them as worthless. These were worthless men. Why were the sons of Eli considered to be worthless men? I mean, they're priests, right? They should be following in their father's steps, footsteps, Eli. Well, the sons of Eli were considered worthless because, well, because they, did, they uh, held their offerings, the offerings of God, in contempt by insisting that they receive the fat portions that the people of God brought for their offerings to God. Rather than giving the fat portions to God as they were required to do in the Levitical law, they were taking the fat portions for themselves. And not only that, they were being very promiscuous with women who were serving the temple at that time. Yes, these men showed no fear of God. In fact, we read in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. These men did not fear the fear of the Lord, so they had no wisdom. They had no knowledge of the Holy One. 
Fortunately, though, though, there was Samuel. Samuel, a humble young boy who had been dedicated to the Lord by his mother, Hannah. If you remember the story at the very first of 1 Samuel, Hannah is, is barren. She's unable to have children. And so Hannah prays that she might have a son. In fact, we, we can read the prayer in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. She, Hannah says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah prays for a son, and God answers that prayer. And Hannah follows through on her commitment, and she gives Samuel, as soon as he is weaned, to the Lord so that he might live in the, in the temple with Eli and, and learn what it means to be a priest under Eli. But Samuel is much, much younger than uh, Eli's sons. He's just a, a little boy. And that's one of the great ironies of our text this morning. God chooses to reveal himself to speak to a young boy. Not to the men who are supposed to be wise, but a young boy. And isn't that the way of Jesus? If you'll remember, Jesus' disciples at one point, specifically in Matthew chapter 18, asked Jesus, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? And then Jesus takes a little boy about the size of Luke and and pulls him forward and holds this little boy in front of all of them and says to them, Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. If we hope to enter into the kingdom of heaven, if we hope to have a, a vibrant relationship with God, we must first approach God humbly like a child. You know, as the father of three, I have noticed that my children, when they're young, they listen a little bit better than as they get older. It's a little weird. I was the same way. Uh, When I was a young boy, uh, my parents would ask me to do something, and I would usually right away say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. But then when I got into puberty, I think something happened to my hearing. And uh, as a teenager, I wasn't listening as well. Uh, My mom would come to me and say, Howard, you know, you need to take out the trash, which was one of my chief duties around the house. And I would give the obligatory, "Uh uh-huh. It's like, it's like my main language to my parents. Like, uh-huh, okay. And then I would be watching TV, most likely a basketball or football game, and I would be engrossed in that. And about two hours later, the trash still wasn't taken out, and my parents would get very upset with me and say, aren't you listening to me? I had this selective hearing as a teenager where I could hear what I wanted to hear and ignore what I didn't want to hear. And the fact is that we can make that same mistake with God if we're not careful. We can develop selective hearing. When we listen to God, when, we, when he says what we want to hear, but, but we tend to ignore when he says things that we don't want to hear. But how are we supposed to hear God today? How are we to make sure that we're, we're listening to God? I mean, our lives are so busy today, isn't it? We have so many different voices speaking to us in our culture. We have advertisers telling us to wear this or to drink this beverage or to drive this car. There are politicians who are telling us that we need to vote for them because they're like, the, like us as they read from 1 Corinthians. We have children, our parents, our grandchildren, our spouses making their requests saying, I need this, I need that. We have now radio, television, and the internet inundating us with information. How are we supposed to hear God amidst all the voices that are speaking to us? How are we supposed to differentiate God's voice from all the other voices? Well, there's an ancient spiritual practice uh, called contemplative prayer where rather than speaking to God like we often do in our prayers, we're supposed to just sit, be still, and listen. If we're honest with ourselves, most of our prayer life is filled with 
us speaking, right? Before a meal, we give thanks to God for the food or, or we offer a prayer of confession as we did just a moment ago for, for forgiveness for our sins or we offer a prayer of supplication as we pray and ask God for something or we intercede for a friend and we pray for them. And in our prayer life, most of us are doing most of the talking most of the time. But in contemplative prayer, the focus is on us hearing from God, listening to what God has to say. Young Samuel gives us a beautiful prayer that we ought to utilize in our own lives today in verse 10 when he says, speak for your servant hears. I like the way the New Revised Standard Version translates that verse. It says, speak for your servant is listening. Let's say that together. Speak for your servant is listening. In this prayer, Samuel humbly prays, oh God, speak, I will listen and I will obey. I have found that God tends to speak most clearly to me as I listen with a willing heart to obey what it is God calls me to do. Do we have attentive ears? Are we listening? Not only so that we might hear God, but so that we might also obey God. As a part of our listening, we, uh, as part of this contemplative prayer that Richard Foster talks about in his great book, Prayer, we have two copies in our library. Richard Foster, this wonderful uh, leader, writes this book called Prayer, and he talks about how contemplative prayer actually begins with centering prayer. In centering prayer, we quiet our hearts, and we do so by focusing on God. A lot of Eastern religions talk about emptying your mind of distractions. Well, we want to empty our mind of distractions, but more importantly, we want to fill our mind with the things of God. And so the way we do this in centering prayer is we begin this contemplative prayer of listening to God. We begin by taking a deep breath and then we breathe out and we say the name of Jesus so that our heart and mind might turn towards Jesus. And if we ever feel ourselves becoming distracted in this time of listening, we just breathe in again and breathe out and say Jesus so we might focus on him. Let's try that together. Jesus. As we say that over and over again, then we begin to turn our ears and our hearts towards God. And of course, we hear God most clearly today through his written word. For the Holy Spirit inspired God's word. As we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. When you read God's word, do you hear God speaking to you? This morning, I want to share with you a brief video that we have in our our library. It's called Be Still, and it's several spiritual giants of our day who talk about how they're able to hear God today. The first person who speaks is Max Lucado. He's the Church of Christ pastor who has taken the Bible and put it into narrative form, which uh, he's co-author of the story that we're reading through uh, this year in 2016. After that, we have Richard Foster, uh, who wrote that great Christian classic, Celebration of Discipline. He's he's actually a, a Quaker. Then we have uh, Dr., uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Brewer, who's the uh, pastor emeritus of um, Bel Air Presbyterian Church in California. And then there's Calvin Miller, who is a professor of homiletics uh, and a Baptist. And then we've got Beth Moore, another great Bible teacher who's a Baptist, who share with us how they're able to hear God's word today. Let's show that video this morning. There really are two approaches to reading the Bible, one for inspiration, one for information, and both of them are important. You know, I read the Bible for information when I want to know, where did Jesus go? Uh, where, how did he spend his time? What exactly does this word mean that Jesus used? That's helpful information. 
But inspiration says, now, Lord, which verse out of the Beatitudes are you wanting to really hit me with today? Uh, What part of Colossians are you wanting to use today to really impact me? Uh, I think if we start our Bible reading time with this prayer, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart through these words. And then we read until something hits us. Then we can trust that the Holy Spirit has designated, targeted us with that passage of Scripture. And then you're reading for inspiration. Learning to distinguish the voice of God from just human voices within us comes in much the same way that we learn any other voice. You know, there's a tone to a voice. Satan pushes and condemns. God draws and encourages, and we can know the difference. And then there's a spirit in a voice, isn't there? Remember, it was said of Messiah that he would not break a bruised reed, nor quench a smoldering wick. You see, Jesus would never snuff out the smallest hope, never crush the needy. And that's the spirit that we look for in the voice of God. And then, third, there's the content of the voice. And in the final analysis, that is the most clear evidence. You see, the voice of God, the Debar Yahweh, is always consistent with the way God has spoken in the past. And so Scripture then becomes a primary means by which we understand God speaking to us today. It will always be consistent with the way he has spoken in the past. Sometimes the longest distance in our spiritual journey is that 18 inches from our head, getting it down into our heart. And the power of this contemplative prayer, this inner life, is it takes this knowledge, which is all the facts and figures, and it makes it wisdom by applying it. Can you think about how God must feel when a Christian comes into his presence reading the 23rd Psalm? Lord, you are my shepherd. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead beside still waters. All for your name's sake. I think when we say those things back to God, as the author of those words, he's delighted. And the silence confirms that we are people. And we're talking, and God's listening. But the best times are when God starts talking, and we're quiet enough to hear him. When I'm reading the Bible, I will at times have an impression like that verse is exactly what God wants me to hear today. Uh, it will be maybe a verse that would not connect with anyone else, but it's a verse that the Lord had set apart for me. It's a verse that kind of catches my eye. It, it doesn't let me move forward, uh, which is an exciting thought because the Bible says that the Bible is alive, that the Word of God is alive and active, which makes it different than any other literature that exists on the face of the earth. It becomes then like a, like a glove to a surgeon that God can put his hand in that Bible and reach up and touch you with those words. And if that's the case, that means that when that word touches me, that's God touching me in that word. Second Timothy 3 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. And that means that every single word on that paper has come fresh out of the mouth of God. What I try to remember every single time I read scripture is that it still has the warmth of God's breath on it. You can't separate the words of God from the mouth of God, or you've just got sterile words sitting on a page. 
God's word is different than that. It's the very word out of his mouth. Therefore, it comes with a fresh breath. And because it's eternal, that means time is not attached to it. So it's as fresh today to me as it was the day it came out of his mouth and onto the paper. That's the way I look at it. The word of God is used three ways in the Bible. First, there is the Debar, Yahweh, that speaking word of life God spoke and created. Then there's Jesus, who is the word of God in flesh. And then there is the word of God written, scripture. And you see, God uses the Bible to speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits, what we need to receive. My life verse is Hebrews 4.12 that says God's word is alive and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. I love that because what it's saying to me is that when God speaks his word over me, and that's what he's doing, when he determined that he would have his word down on paper, it was to us, not just so he could hear his own voice. This was his way of making sure that his people could hear his voice at any time we're listening. When people tell me that they can't hear God, that God's not speaking to them, I always want to say the same thing. Do you have a Bible? We do have a Bible. In fact, you've got a Bible in your pew. Uh, in fact, we put Psalm 23 inside of your bulletin. You may have noticed that. And Calvin Miller, the professor, had mentioned that what, how great it is as we read this word to, to make it our own, to make it a part of our, our prayer life. And so I want us to experience contemplative prayer this morning. And the first step to contemplative prayer, according to Richard Foster, is centering prayer. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of just some deep breathing and saying the name of Jesus. And then after a moment of silence, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed and as I read Psalm 23, that you might just listen to those familiar words again. And then after, some, that, after reading it aloud to you, that I want you to just quietly turn and, and as you have here Psalm 23, feel free to underline any word or phrase that stands out to you as you quietly read it and allow God to speak to you, to hear what God wants you to say in this moment. This is the first time in five years I have no idea how the sermon's going to end, okay? I'm going to pray, and we're going to see what the Lord says, and then I'm just going to share with you the, the impressions that God gave to me as we read Psalm 23 together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our hearts that we might hear what you want to say to us today as we come to you centering our hearts and minds together. Jesus, Jesus. 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 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd who guides us and leads us. That your rod and your staff, they comfort us. That because of your great sacrifice, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. As I read the text this morning, I Different words stood out to me from 8.30. As I read the text this morning, the word shepherd came to mind. The words of Jesus when he says in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And then as I've done in many funerals, Psalm 23 is probably the most read scripture at any of the funerals I've ever done. It stood out to me again, verse 4. Even though I walk through, the word through, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When I preach on Psalm 23 at a funeral, I always point out that while our loved one is no longer with us, they are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And now they're with Jesus, where Jesus, hanging on the cross in Luke 23, turns to the criminal next to him and says to to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We don't stay and remain in the valley of the shadow of death. No, because of Christ's death and resurrection, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death to the other side where our great shepherd loves us, embraces us, where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As I read these words, I just heard God saying, this too will pass. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you speak to each one of us in unique ways, that we can come to your word and you can speak, Lord, but help us to be still. Help us to take the time we need to be still and know that you are God so that we might hear your voice clearly. There are so many voices speaking to us today, so much noise. Oh God, may we take the time we need to be still, to practice contemplative prayer, beginning with centering prayer and then turning to you simply to listen. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May we always seek to humbly listen to you so that we might obey. In your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. This morning we're blessed to have Nikki Amos who's going to share with us about the women's retreat. Sign-ups have begun in the Great Hall. You can sign up afterwards. She's going to share with us how God... Um, my name's Nikki Amos and I'm one of the chairs of this year's retreat.